Today marks um, the end of season two of Would You Like a Podcast. And I felt that it was essential that I got someone on who marks the occasion well. Um, And I reached out to Catherine of Catherine Wilman Interiors, who is a phenomenal interior designer, who's done some incredible projects, who has essentially kind of had a huge success with Instagram as well. Um, And she's London-based, a fantastic woman who's here to share her journey with us this week for the final episode, documenting from humble beginnings, her love of interior design, how she started the company, dealing with dyslexia as well, and a whole lot more in what is honestly one of my favourite episodes and a great way for us to end this season. So without further ado, here we go. Thank you so much for coming on and joining us today. I'm really excited for this chat that we're going to have. Hello, thank you for having me. This is this is going to be really exciting, I think, because, you know, a lot of people over the last sort of couple of years, I think, have really become fans of what you do and your work. I think there's been this real sort of buzz around social media and interior design, especially, I think, with COVID and everything, as we'll get into. People have been sitting at home wondering about home improvements and things like that. And, you know, I'm sure that they've been following and everything and your account, especially, is just sort of grown massively but before we get into that I want to go all the way back to the beginning um why don't we start with a short introduction into uh, who you are and then a bit of background into your inspirations um that led up to the creation of your business yeah well um I got into design because my father was into design as well he was a wallpaper and textile designer so as a kid I used to sort of watch him and go to his factory when they were manufacturing wallpaper he'd come back with uh, lots of designs and bring them home and and um, we'd I'd just get very involved with it also like being in the studio it was a very like um interesting environment to work in looked like fun you never look so stiffy or you know so you always looked exciting people very free not very no one was wearing suits it was very casual and I just liked the whole whole atmosphere and then um, so I was involved in that from being very young and then on top of that we my parents were moving house all the time and renovating so that for living on a building site for many, many years watching uh, houses being renovated. And our old house was um, a big old stone um, 16th century farmhouse. And the people had lived there before, it was a wreck inside and they'd painted all the mullion windows, they'd stripped all the character from it. So over the years, my parents slowly put the house back to rights and I really enjoyed it. I had, we worked with stonemasons and builders. And I think I, get, I got really inspired by it when I was a kid, you know, right from the very beginning. And having, you know, my brothers are both artistic, both of them are in the business. So um, it's sort of, it was a natural progression that I was going to do something artistic. Whether I was doing interior design at that point was a different matter. I wasn't actually, um, I was just involved in design. But then um, when I left school, I ended up going um, traveling for a bit and decided at that point I wanted to do a, an interior design course. And I don't know why. I've been doing a bit of photographic styling and involved with photographs and I decided that was it. I was going to go off and, and, um, and pursue my dream. And I went to university and got a, a place in London, at the University of London. How did that develop? Um after you know you developed the inspirations and I guess that you kind of figured out quite early on from this path of 
renovating and moving house that this was something that you were intrigued in and interested in once you'd finished university and you discovered that this was what you wanted to do what was the path that you then went on because I think that a lot of people have this impression that people come out of university and then just start the business and the clients start rolling in and that's sort of how it begins what was it like for you I was lucky because I went back after leaving London I decided to go back and I worked for my father for a bit but he was in a design studio doing wallpapers and textiles as I mentioned and it wasn't really what I wanted to do as such and it was like you know it was I was involved with doing exhibition stands and 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 doing all the photography so what I used to do is I used to come down to London we used to work with a few stylists and, and top photographers in London and I used to get the train down in the 20s and literally go on to these photo shoots and I'd watch all these really like top London photographers working on um, room sets and, and, and also the stylists would be there getting all the furniture and accessories. And I was always involved with behind the camera watching these um, photographs being put together for all the magazines. And I really loved it. You know, that was one of the side of the businesses I really loved. And I liked the whole branding. I loved, you know, um, creating room sets, having a vision, putting the schemes together. And I really realised what that's what I wanted to do. So um, I ended up moving back down to London because I, I met a guy who was living in London, decided to move back to, to London and was trying to sort of look what I was going to do with my life and um, left my, working for my father and decided to sit in the bedroom, which I think a lot of interior designers said they all started off sitting in the bedroom with actually like struggling to think, trying to throw a business together. But I did, I got back into, um, with the experience I had had in the past and the bit of portfolio I put together working for my family, I managed to put like a little flyer together and I literally sent it out to about, you know, 200 developers, one after the other, after the other, after the other, waiting and hoping that I could try and get some work doing a show flat. So I thought, well, if I could just get to do one or two show flats, at the same time, I was quite lucky in the fact that somebody had put me forward to do a, a lady's house in Ormskirk in, in Lancashire. And I'm sure Carol will be listening to this, but she was one of my first clients. And my friend Sally uh, also was one of my first clients and they literally trusted me with their home. And, uh, and Carol's house, I think her budget was like, I think the first project was like a budget of about a million pounds. <laughs> So it was quite a start, you know, and um, I literally, yeah, I worked on her house for about three years at the same time as trying to get this show homework. And they, they, she, um, I used to drive down to Cheshire because her house is in Ormskirk. I used to go back to Lancashire, stay at my parents' house, work on this property and um, I really enjoyed it. I didn't earn a lot of money, but my view was if I can eventually get this house looking great with Carol and we pair of us worked hard on it, that it eventually get into a magazine and it did get into a magazine at the end of it and at the end of the um session I think we ended up um getting another job from it oh wow so actually it got seen in the magazine and then I got a phone call saying I really love that house and can you do um, another property so I ended up doing two houses in Ormskirk which was actually because um, it was another one quite local and um that which was great but I obviously kept on wanting to get down working in London because I was commuting back to the north still so I did that for quite a few few years actually and still at the same time trying to plug doing show homes got got a bit of a lucky break doing one and used that photography from that to again create bigger flyers and you know get more advertising out sat there sending these things out and eventually I was losing faith I have to say losing faith 
ever getting it off the ground. And then um, a very big turning point when I thought, this is it, I'm giving up. It was literally one day I was packing up my stuff thinking, I'm out of here, I'm going to go back home. It's no good. And I went to the answering machine. Without a word of a lie, I had two people left a message for me to ring them and about doing some show homes. And one of them was um, a lady, Kathy Lloyd, from Durkin Homes. She rang me up and said to me, look, um, if you can get your presentation to us in the next week, we'll, we'll consider you. And I said, brilliant. So I worked really, really hard. I was determined to get this job and um, did my presentation. It must have been, it was pretty good because I think I spent so flipping long on it. I was determined it was not going to fail. And I think she could see the desperation in my, uh, my eyes when I turned up for that job. And uh, I got it. So that was it. So she gave me um, that first project and that was it. She then gave me another project, another project. And it just snowballed from then. And um, Danny Durkin was a fantastic client and Kathy Lloyd are both massively influential in my life. And she went on to leaving Durkin Homes and she went on to join L&Q and she took me with her and then gave me all those show homes. So while I was doing some renovations on people's houses, I was doing lots of show homes that sort of got me, got me going, really. But it wasn't easy to begin with, I have to say. <laughs> no, I can imagine. I think, you know, a lot of people have got this perception as if it's an overnight success when it comes to a lot of things but one thing that I know is and there's an amazing quote that I heard a few months ago which put it perfectly is that you know in order for there to be this overnight success people don't see that there's probably 10 years work that's gone into that moment that people then see and and everything sort of explodes my question for you is at what point did you sort of realize that it was that moment where things just started it snowballed and there was no sort of end to it where, where did that sort of kick in well the next that had the next my next lucky break was when I was moving house because um me and the partner that I was with split up and I had to start looking for a place to live so I'd actually started thinking okay let's go around some state agents and then I met um Patrick one of the state agents who's still a friend to this day actually from Stanley Chelsea and he's the most honest estate agent in London I have to say and I was absolutely tearful because I was moving to this lovely apartment to absolutely having no money and struggling, thinking, how am I going to get this to pull this together, trying to find somewhere to live. And um, so we were going around looking at lots of properties. And at the time, you know, the property market was rising like crazy. And I saw this old um, property that hadn't been done up. And an old lady lived there. She died. And it was an absolute wreck. And... Um, I said to Patrick, it's on the third floor. It's absolutely no good for me because I've got a little dog. I said, but you know, whoever buys it, please just let me have the chance to do it up, you know, put me forward. He goes, well, have you done any lots of properties in London? I said, well, you know, I've done a few and I've done some enormous skirk and all this. And, and I know I'll be good at it. I know I will. So he said, uh, okay. So he trusted me basically. And he did actually sell it to a couple who were in from South Africa and they were living in South Africa. And he said to them, I've got this interior designer who's gonna be perfect for your job. <laughs> he put my name forward. And uh, they, we met for one day, like very quickly. They literally handed me the keys and we said, we've just got a good feeling about you, Kate. You can do the house. Anyway, I did do the house. Found myself a really fantastic builder, put the whole scheme together. This couple were in South Africa, so I was literally doing photographs of it and sending them abroad 
for them to see their own house. And every week I'd do a little dialogue and take photographs of the whole journey of this property. And um, they loved it, absolutely loved it. We went crazy. So when they sold, they had it valued. It was like, they'd put like a couple of hundred thousand on it. So they were absolutely delighted. So they decided to buy another one. So they said, right, we're buying another one. And they got me to do the second one. And then the lady who rented the second one said to me, I'm renting this house. I absolutely love it. I was wondering if you do my house. And it sort of snowballed from that. And then I kept on doing houses and more houses. And, and that was my journey of, of doing properties. And then um, at the same time, I'm doing the, the show homes all along at the same, at the same time. And then um, Patrick was giving me a lot of work, um, you know, renovate, meeting clients who were buying houses in the local area who needed um, a property doing up. He obviously was, I became his go-to designer to, to hand over properties and and that's how we worked to begin with and then after that um Nigel got involved with my business and he started to get involved and see that I never photographed any of the properties so he says Kate you know you photograph them for yourself and your own record but you never photograph the end result and I said no you're right I never do actually so we, um, he got me a photographer, Alex, who's, um, Alex James is great. And he comes along and he photographs all our work now. And um, I think that's really helped, you know, to see the actual end result professionally photographed rather than my quick dialogue that I was taking. And then I think then we started to look at the before and after journeys. And that's how we started putting them on Instagram of the befores and afters. And then people were like, oh my God, you know, I didn't realize you did this. They all, I think they all thought the interior designers to do with cushions, carpets, curtains. And they don't realize that we're in the construction side of it. And roll on 20 years, um, I'm still doing it. <laughs> and, and you get more, you know, you just love it, you know, and every house is different. It's a bit of a puzzle. You know, they're, they're all so different. And the houses in London are so complicated because they're, the flats are often made up of several different, you know, the split. They were once originally obviously one house that's been split into flats. And then they may have been split into flats and renovated two or three times over the course of the, the, the period of their life. And, and, and so you've got, when you open them up, you've got sometimes like a can of worms, you know, you look at them and you think, oh my God, there's redundant pipes, there's redundant this. And, You've also got the neighbours below, so you've got to think about the courtesy of the noise of the people below, the, the, the people above. It's a, a tricky one to try and juggle. It's, it's, it's easier to do houses than it is to do flats, but we do both. Some of the places that you have worked on before, and I've seen you post, have been bomb sites that just... You know, <laughs> They probably haven't even been touched since the war. You know what I mean? <laughs> but that's it's the thing. True. You've 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 gone in there, and because of the way that the business is, I, I mean, I wanted to ask you about sort of the ethos of the company, because is it a case that you will tackle any job and you'll just go in and do any piece of work, or is it quite selective? And do you turn down some proposals that come through because they're just not things that you can possibly do or that are beneficial for the company? Do you? tend to take on everything or is it quite selective yeah, we are selective we are selective now because i think we we get a lot of job uh, people wanting us to do work and we put first of all i have to be inspired by the project i have to think that we can do something with it and um 
And also the size of the project is better as well. Sometimes it, I like it when rather than doing a part of a house, as somebody says to me, do a couple of rooms. It's not quite the same as doing the whole house or the whole flat. We know, and also I think um, we do a lot of planning. So it might look like it just comes together, but there's, there's a lot of planning goes involved. So we take on a project and we meet the client, our initial meeting with them, and then we do a whole journey. So once we've been engaged in, in that project, we do all the design side of it first, we get the plans, we have a, we have a, a laser measure done of the property, then we get the plans and then we create new layouts and change the, the layout of the property. Then we, um, once the layout's been agreed, we call that a general arrangement of the property. Once we've agreed this is a new layout we're going for, we zoom then into the rooms, we just zoom into the bathrooms and we then elevate all the walls. And um, then we, we go with the clients to pick the tiles, we pick the sanitary ware and we put those tiles onto the drawings, put the sanitary ware onto the drawings. We make sure that everything's planned before it goes to the building site. And also it's costed as well before it goes to the building site. So there's like a three month prep of three to four months prep of getting these properties ready before they go to the site. And then we put them to tender. So then we've got this whole document of all the drawings plus, plus a schedule of works we put together. That goes off to the, um, the various builders. It might go to three people to tender. Each one comes back with a, a competitive price and then the client decides who they want to go with. And then once we appoint that builder, then we overlook and see the journey and make sure it's it's delivered on time. We make sure the sanitary ware comes on time. We make sure that the, the builders are doing it correctly with the drawings. So it's, it's, it's a bit of, um, it's a lot of planning that's hidden behind the scenes to get to the, to the end result, which uh, hopefully they like. And hopefully because we're doing like, we're getting more and more, you know, technical with it. So if people want to do a CGI and they want to see the finished bathroom before it started and they're not confident that they made the right tile choice, if time allows and they're not, you know, if the planning's early enough, they can have CGI's done of the room and they can actually see that whole finished product looking like, like a final result before they've actually had to pay any money to, to have it done. So I think it helps people, especially if they haven't got a vision or struggle finding you know seeing the vision of what something's going to look like no of course oh yeah another thing yeah about the ethos about the company as well is um we we definitely like want to make sure we do a lot of family homes as well we get a lot of families approaches and we want the houses to be lived in we don't want this um this interior designed hotel look i know a lot of um you know very wealthy people they have maybe several homes and they're quite happy to have these homes that they've probably stayed in a lot of hotels throughout their lives and they want another sort of hotel and the clients we're getting are mostly like families who don't really they want the houses to be lived in and they want to be able to put the feet on the coffee table or they want to you know, watch a movie they want to be able to have books on the bookshelf that they've collected for years or they want to have a collection of items they, they've had for years they don't want this sterile so set uh, home and I think it's important you've got kids you know you want to be able to stick your magnet on the fridge if you want to have a, a piece of kids art you know and I think you shouldn't be afraid to have it house so perfect and I think that's 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 what I try to do as well I try to make it so it's people feel comfortable in their own home as well so it's not like it's interior design but it's also 
got their personalities in there. I'm so glad that you've said that because one thing which I have noticed over the years with various things that I've worked on and been involved with and even with my own is that I think that there's a lot of people who create and try and think okay like they'll buy somewhere and even though they're living in it they're already trying to make it so that it's got potential for the next person when they sell it they're not thinking about enjoying it and what they want so it's like okay I'm not going to put these tiles or I'm not going to you know put marble here or do this because even though I like it it's not going to be um, desirable for the next person who might move in which I think a lot of people do now have this perception of I need to be thinking about what the next person who buys this property is going to want and the importance of creating an atmosphere in somewhere that you want to actually live in and be in and enjoy. You know, like you said, it's important when it's a family home that you're not filling a place with sharp edges and, and, and corners and everything is sort of, you know, sleek and slick. It's about making it comfortable and welcoming, which is what you do perfectly. Um, and as well, when it comes to the to, to the planning side of things, this leads me on quite nicely because uh, there's a post that you've uh, I don't know if you've done it yet or, you know, when this episode goes live, but um, which kind of talks about uh, your own struggle. Well, I say it's a struggle, but sort of the battle with dyslexia and overcoming that um, when it comes to, to the business side of things. How did you um, manage to sort of navigate an industry that requires you to be quite, you know, a lot of people don't realize that as well as being quite artistic, it does require a lot of planning and, and stuff that goes on behind the scenes. How did you manage to overcome that or embrace it? What was your method when it came to that? I was diagnosed with dyslexia later on in life when I was at university. I'd gone to um, a comprehensive school and in those days, I guess it wasn't really noticed or picked up on by the teachers. And I went off to university and it was at that point I was getting really worried about um, coursework to do with the dissertation side of things. I knew that I was actually fine to do with the design. I was doing really well. Um, but when I approached one of my tutors, I said, look, I'm really concerned about doing this dissertation. He asked me the reason why. And I said, um, he said, why don't we go and get you tested for dyslexia? Have you ever thought you're dyslexic? I said, I have. I said, but I've sort of always just managed to muddle through and never really addressed it. So I went to have an actual test with a professional and it was um, diagnosed straight away, actually. And, you know, he, he put me through a number of, of questions and um, a lot of them I can't remember now, but I do remember one distinctly was, um, you know, getting directions for something. And I was really confused with my left and my right. And it's, it's very simple things with dyslexia that you get, you know, I don't know, your brain works slightly differently and um, you can actually write words backwards so you might write maybe three or four words and then you may and maybe one word will actually have part of the word with the, with the two last digits back written backwards and things so there's other things um that were the problem and I actually still can write write a letter and um and I can see can't see the spelling or any problems with it at the time I can reread it the next day and as clear as day I can go oh my goodness so it's a really it's a really strange thing so it's at the time you can reread something several times and you can't see anything. And then um, when you actually come with fresh eyes, maybe the next day, you can actually look and you can see the faults. So it's a, it's a really, it's a difficult thing to deal with. And, um, but I think that it brings out the creative side in, in you as well, because you, you see things and you do things in a different way. Your mind and brain works in a different way. 
And um, I think for me, it's been, um, I've just framed myself into the arts and the photography. So even at school, because I wasn't the best at all the, the literate things, I was more to do with pu push myself towards the things I enjoyed doing, which was the um, more creative side of things. And my, it does run through families. My, my brother's dyslexic and my dad's dyslexic. Um, you know, probably again, my father's never been diagnosed, <laughs> but he definitely is. And um, again, my brother really, I don't think he's ever really been fully diagnosed. But um, again, he, he's got the same, the same issues. Um, so I think it's one of those things you managed to overcome. And I'm really grateful for the fact that when I got actually, someone told me that that was the problem that it sort of really helped me. They give you sort of a bit of extra time and exams and, and things like that to, to compensate for it. I find it, you know, I don't worry about it so much, but I do think it helps visually to be dyslexic in a way, because I think you think out the box a bit different. And I think a lot of um, creatives are the same, you know. I think, um, you know, a lot of us have the same sort of problem. You see things more visual than you do actually putting pen to paper. And, um, but it's, it's helped. I've just got my confidence and through doing what I do with the designs and, and, and meeting people and relaying things through conversation and chat. And then, and then hopefully the people have trusted me when they, <laughs> see, they see the odd spelling and they think, gosh, what has she put there? That is essentially, when you look through time, there's so many people who have been successful when it comes to art or music or fashion or whatever that haven't, been um particularly you know able when it comes to other things and you know i think it's wrong for us to label it as a disability because for for most people they are able to embrace it and and use it to benefit their talents you might have a weakness in one thing but what you lack in one skill you have ample of in another and in your case it's it's proven there yeah, it is. And I think, you know, you just have to be, go what you love to do, really. And any job, whatever you do, I think the most important is you really enjoy what you do. And if you really love what you do, you're always going to be good at it, I think. Because you just, it's not for a job. No, I never think, you know, even though I work very hard at this job, sometimes I think, oh my God, it's relentless because, you know, you have to pick everything down to the hinges on the door. You know, it's like, you know, for whole houses and these massive decisions to be made right down to the tiny little details. And it's those tiny little details that make big differences. And then um, every single thing's got to be accounted for. But And I think, gosh, it's, it can be quite exhausting, but I absolutely love it, you know. I just still love it to this day. And every house, as I say, is different. And the challenges we come across is different. And I now have great team around me um so i've got a really good um set of girls who are working for me who i think really enjoy it as well and they all sort of you know got people doing the ordering i've got people um doing you know lots of the design or admin sides of it so i think it, that's really helped as well at the beginning i was doing everything myself even doing my own vat return but god knows how i did that i don't know but anyway i did it for a few years <laughs> I'm <laughs> looking back I really really get scared I mean to be honest that but um I did do it for a few years I was doing everything and then slowly you know you, you hand hand over the baton so that's that's been good going forward I think uh, actually if you were to give advice to someone who's listening to this who's struggling with dyslexia but wants to sort of follow a path and is not sure because I think there's I've had conversations with people in the past who have said that they've 
they haven't been diagnosed yet, but then they realize that there's something not quite right. I actually even had um, Daniel Daggers was on an episode a couple of weeks ago, and he even said that he suffers and he's 100 percent certain that he is dyslexic when it comes to the writing side of things but yet he's someone who's been able to you know use his other skills to propel himself to a point where he's uh, you know done transactions to the total value of over four billion pounds so you know it's all about using your skills to help yourself go further what advice would you give to someone who's struggling and going through that moment of not really understanding or, or feeling as if this label's been put on them and they're not sure how to move forward with it. I know. Well, I just think you have to just keep going on, on it and not worry too much about it. I think, you know, the minute you start thinking about something too much and you actually start thinking about what people think, then you've got a real, it's a problem that becomes your problem. I think you've got to think, you know, actually just believe in yourself. And if you really, whatever you're doing, and I can imagine it is very difficult, I mean, for me, if I'd honestly, if I'd known how bad I was, I probably wouldn't have been worse. But I think naivety of not knowing how bad I was probably was just got me through it. Um, um, it was only one, actually, one client who pointed out to me one day, she's, oh, my God, Kate, I don't know how you get by, you know, with your, you know, you're very good at the job, but I don't know how you get by with all these letters and things you're writing. They're appalling. And I was like, well, I'm not here to write a letter. I'm here to write, design your house. So just, just move on from it. And it did, it did shape me up a bit. And I have to be honest with you, after that, I got Grammarly. And <laughs> I got <laughs> things to help me. And now I've put a bit of effort in. But, um, you know, before that, I didn't really suppose I was just naivety. So I think anybody out there, just don't, just, just go for it. Just don't worry too much about what people say. People have said things to me and it's it's been a bit hurtful and they don't understand the struggle I've had with it. And, um, really have a go and just try and you know at the end of the day if you are in a creative whether you're a chef or whether you're a you know a musician or anything it doesn't it doesn't matter that these things it's you know your creative side is a bit more difficult if you're you know a journalist and <laughs> struggling or, or an accountant it's a, you have to be pretty good at it I think absolutely so. <laughs> <laughs> Going forward, um, you know, we've sort of lived through very difficult times over the last year to, you know, a year and a half. I, I can't even remember how long we've been living through it. A person I know put it perfectly and kind of said that even though the world's been put on pause, it's still continued on um, in a sense. And I guess that's true for your business as it has been mine. Things have just continued to go on as normal. Um, for your business, when COVID hit, how did you cope? Was it something that you were able to navigate in the beginning and that you sort of had a clear path thought or what happened? Yeah, it was a bit of a shock. And we literally just decided to take on a bigger office and we'd actually chosen the office space and we'd actually given our notice in our, on our other office. And we were all excited about the new office and moving in and all of a sudden, bang, COVID. So um, it was like, oh my God, what do we do now? So we straight away, we got everyone working from home. So, um, and furloughed some, some people and then, you know, kept Gemma going. So I thought actually all the jobs are gonna stop. And we were in the middle of some building sites and I was really like thinking, how are we gonna manage this? The clients are living in another house, they're gonna, the project's gonna stop and this is a nightmare. And then it turned out, okay actually because the building industry was allowed to continue so it's one of the one industries that we've been really fortunate 
and we've been allowed to continue working throughout the whole of the, the COVID situation. And um, But I actually thought, getting new projects, who's going to take on a, a project in the middle of this disaster, you know? And um, so we were really worried uh, at that point. And um, everyone's been amazing. The, the, the builders have been amazing. They've monitored the sites and they've managed to limit, limit the people going on there. They've all continued and the, the clients have been very understanding of any delays. There wasn't that many delays, but a few things with supplies. There was a few um, issues. Getting plaster was one of the issues. You know, there's a shortage of plaster in the UK and um, a shortage of things like draw runners. It was most obscure things that were not happening, but everyone was very understanding of the whole, uh, whole situation and the projects, as I say, carried on. Um, for us as a team, we've learned a lot from it because we, we managed to gain extra skills. We've, we've all come home, home, all set up our computers from home. We were, all our work was in the cloud anyway. We were going a bit paperless before and now we've gone completely paperless. So I've gone to the old files. In fact, when I was moving out my old office, moving into the new office, I was thinking, I don't need these files anymore. So when we finally got into the, the new office, which was six months later, um, we, as I say, we took the keys from it and couldn't even move into it. When we finally moved into it, we we were getting rid of files, thinking this is not the way we work anymore. We work remotely, and everything's paperless for us now. So um, it's really pushed things forward on that level, and also with the the clients and Zoom has been like amazing because we can actually have conversations with clients. We, we do we meet with them in the evening or during the day, and rather than having to set up a meeting, they can do a quick Zoom from home or from work or wherever they are. And on occasions, you know, it might be a husband and wife. The wife's at home, the husband's in the office. He's managed to spare fifteen minutes, and we're all having a chat about the house which I think would never have happened before, you know? And so I think in that respect, it's really helped. And um, with, just like, with, with the Zoom as well, we can also share the screens. And so we can actually get the plans up on the screen. We can talk about their whole project um, visually, as well as just talking to each other. And the team can all get involved. And so I think it's been, it's like having a brilliant meeting very quickly. And in that respect, I don't think we'll go back to having normal, you know, I think we'll continue Zooming well after COVID um, because it really speeds up the process. And I think we'll continue with the paperless thing. And uh, we have gone back into the office, which is really nice. I was thinking whether the girls would want to come back, thinking, are they all used to working from home now and want to stay there? But I think they've also, we can't wait to get back in. You know, we just can't wait to, to, to be in a group again. I think they're so sick of being at home. But we're also open to the fact that, you know, if somebody wants to work from home in the afternoon, if they have to, it's yeah. not a desperate thing anymore. They all work really hard. You know, everyone was doing the job very well from home. So, um, which I'm very lucky to have. And um, yeah, so it, it worked out well. So I think there's some good things come out of COVID. I th that's the same. That's the same <laughs> that I've, I've said for so long is just the way that it's, it's almost sped up 
what we sort of could see coming from a mile off. You know, there were so many things that I could see that were happening. And even for me with my team, so many of them now work remotely. And it's been a, a blessing because even when it comes to this podcast, we've been able to hold meetings and have people on that have been in Dubai, that have been in Monaco, that have been in LA that have been all over that we've been able to do this with that we just simply wouldn't have had to do before. And even for me with my own work, there were times when I would have to take a week out because I'd need to fly somewhere to go and have two meetings. And now everything can just be done over, over zoom, which is essentially a blessing because it's just, I mean, Lord knows how we managed without zoom before because <laughs> it's just become we just so wish we had shares in zoom. <laughs> oh no, I, I was saying that I was saying it, that that is just the one thing that I wish I, wish <laughs> I had with shares in zoom because honestly it's just become it's it's a necessity now you know it's just it's a lifesaver um and it does save a lot of time and i was going to ask you with the last year obviously there's been a, an, a, an uptake of people sort of staying at home a real interest in social media and all of this kind of thing for you as a company um and i guess as an industry as well what are the trends that you're starting to see people take an interest in what are you know the things that you kind of see going in the direction of over the next sort of 12 months but i've really loved crittle for a long time i use uh, the beta plus books with my very favorite books and um, they're all belgium architects and i used to get these books and everything was done with crittle years ago so it's always been something i loved but now it's very high, highly fashionable and um i really like that because it gives you allows you especially in these small houses in london you need to divide the space, but you also want the space to feel big. Yes. So I think this gives us a little bit of flexibility so you can see through these places. You can back your sofa onto a critical wall and yet you've got this divider. It keeps it cosy, it keeps it warm, it keeps you having a porch or entrance and yet you've got this light coming through to both areas and makes it feel bigger. So I think for, for London properties, it's been really a really good thing actually. And that's very popular. Wallpaper is coming back. We're, you know, seriously coming back. Um, there's some really interesting designs coming back and pattern is coming back. You know, a lot of pattern and definitely seeing that. And so hopefully we'll be putting some of that into projects soon. Um, but I'm definitely seeing lots of um, patterns and textures. And um, the other thing that's like fringes and tassels and, um, you know, maybe you, you get a plain blind and you trim it with something that's a little trim that we never used to really have. They went out of fashion and they're coming back in fashion. And there's definitely more decorative things, handles, you know, kitchens all went handleless. Now bring back the handle, <laughs> handle, handle people are having a good, uh, a good ride at the moment. <laughs> I think probably <laughs> they're really doing well. So I think there's a lot of them, um, you know, nice handles, interesting handles. Um, there's, there's lots of them on the market that are so different and colours, you know, um, with people with sanitary wear, like the chrome sanitary wear, it, it, it's never gone out of fashion chrome and it won't ever go out of fashion, but there's all sorts of um, new finishes for sanitary wear now. Absolutely. So people are liking bronze. Um, we're doing quite a lot of bronze, which I think is lovely. And they're, they're a bit worried whether it'll go out of fashion, but I don't think so. I think it's going to be here for a while. And there's black, um, black sanitary wear, you know, like all the black taps. There's also rose coloured. I'm not into the rose coloured, I have to say. I think that is something that I haven't used it yet. <laughs> but um, with all the other colours, I really like the, 
been like antique brasses and the finishes it's exciting and you know it's a nightmare for the bathroom sanitary people selling it they said god it was so easy when one time when people used to walk in and say chrome 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 now it's like they've got to match the towel rail and they've got to match the toilet flush and sanitary wear people don't all do the whole range so you've got to go to a good bathroom place now so if you choose like bronze they've got to find the right bronze towel rail to match your your taps and i think it's become a whole lot more complicated for the bathroom oh absolutely i know i agree i agree i remember there was a project that i was involved in and it was a nightmare because everything had to be in uniform and i just remember you know one company would do it another company wouldn't some parts you were able to get here (laughs) and it was just i mean it was almost as if you were looking for the willy wonka golden ticket you know you were trying to find somewhere that you could get all of your bits from and you were shopping around then looking for the best price as well it was a nightmare and i think that this again is a side that a lot of people don't realize when it comes to this industry because all they see a lot of the time is the beginning and then the end you know they don't realize all of the work that goes on in between in order to get there and to make it happen which is essential yes it is essential and it's those it's going those you know if you're going to change your bronze taps it might be that you want to sort of take a theme throughout your flat especially if it's a small flat um you know you, with a bigger house you've got more flexibility to change the finishes with a small flat you don't want to really keep jumping from one thing to the other from one bathroom to the other you want to keep some continuity going on so you might want your switches to be the same color as your brassware in your sanitary wear you want, might want to sort of take a theme through to your kitchen and i think getting all the suppliers <laughs> to match, as you say, is, 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 a, is difficult. But there's lots of nice products out there at the moment. And I think everyone's had a bit of a revi- revival with this because obviously because the market's seeing these new finishes come on the, on the scene, people do want to refresh, don't they? There's something like, oh my God, actually, let's do that again, you know? Because you, you know, we can change it now, we can change, we can put different handle on and, and completely change the look of something. Yeah. And spending so much time at home, people are uh, are now sort of, you know, after a year for some people of sitting in their home office that they last renovated, I don't know, in 2010, they're suddenly thinking, okay, you know, it's time for us to refresh or update or just, you know, tidy things up a little bit or modernize, you know, and I think once you've been sitting in a place for so long, staring at the same four walls and you get sick and tired of it and you're desperate to revive it you know and especially if you can't go on holiday or go away or do something you're looking for ways that you can improve your surroundings and I'm sure you're seeing an increase of people calling up saying hi you know we want to redo our bathroom or we want to redo our en suites or you know just improve the bedroom or the home office or the living room or you know even like you say I mean the 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 great thing with Crittle is that you literally just add it and it changes something entirely I remember we did Crittle in the in, in the shower and it almost made the room look like a completely different room altogether. It's a it's a brilliant thing, you know, and it's little things that people can do, essentially, that are able to just transform the place entirely. And you don't need to have, you know, a huge budget or ample amounts of money stashed in a secret pot under a rainbow or something for this work to take place, because... If you go to someone with a good eye like yourself, you know, you're able to guide people along the journey in order to pick the right things and to make it personal and bespoke as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. 
I think it's, you know, and we've had a big response to our, the Crittle, for instance, on our Instagram. It's been, you know, we had, I think, 800,000 views on, on, on that one Crittle wall on Instagram. And I think that has said to me how popular it is. <laughs> and I think, you know, the, the change that it can make. And I think, um, well, like you say, I think these little changes, and I think you don't have to have a lot of money. And I think you can put a small, cheapy kitchen in and you change it with the worktops and you can change it with the, the, the handles again, the splashback. You know, you, can, you don't have to have loads of money to, to suddenly jazz something up. And I think paint is, um, and wallpaper can really transform things. And a, a lot of dark colours are coming in as well. People are a bit more experimental with some dark colours as well, which is quite nice. Some rooms painted dark and, and bringing out moody tones. And, you know, I think it's quite exciting, you know, some of the things that are going on. And I think colours definitely coming back. Um, it's another thing that I can see happening. And some of them are quite bright colours, um, but there's definitely, there's definitely a movement going on where things are... are one point we're thinking, oh gosh, I don't like that. And actually thinking now it's quite nice. It's coming yeah, all back. All of a sudden their colours are, are, are having their moment and there's this revival of them coming back. I don't know. Maybe it was Wix or someone that decided <laughs> to plough a lot of money into a campaign and decided to get the whole industry going again. Because for such a long time, it was, you know, a case that it was white, black, grey. And now all of a sudden you're popping up and you're seeing people doing blues and, you know, all sorts of things, yeah. especially in the country kitchens. I'm seeing a lot of pale blues. I'm seeing a lot of oranges and, and those kind of things starting to come back, you know, yes. things wow. that you just would have never seen before. But now I guess that there's a market for it. There is, there is. And, and those who people who are, are, are too afraid of going for it with colours, the colours can come through from your sofa. It can be your, you know, you can bring it through on the sofa, on the cushions, you know, things that you can easily change. So if you don't yes. get, you get tired of it, you can throw it in with a, a you know, a cushion or you can change it with a sofa colour. You know, um, these are things that are very cheap to replace. Not, not necessarily your sofa is cheap to replace, but certainly cushions and accessories. Yes. They're things that can change. And if you want to bring in colour and you're a bit like, I, I'm not quite daring to go for it on the walls, then you can bring it in a, in other ways. I even, think that's, that's even like how good. you've got the flowers behind you you know even just putting some flowers on a table it makes all the difference that's what people well, don't realize. my friends my birthday it was my birthday <laughs> i got a nice big bunch of flowers in the window well, they're yeah, lovely. But, they're yeah. quite decorative for the background <laughs> <laughs> they're gorgeous actually yeah so i've been very lucky i've been i've got lots of flowers from my uh, from my birthday present so they keep everyone keeps knowing what i like and they keep going <laughs> my last question for you before we wrap up is um it's one which i think is probably going to be it's uh, people say that this is the hardest question but i think that it, for you it might be quite easy because you've you've sort of given hints of your inspirations along the way i want to, uh, to imagine covid is done and imagine that everyone is coming over to your house for this incredible dinner party i don't know if you cook or if you'd be having takeaway i suppose after a year of everyone at home constantly cooking you might want to go to a restaurant for this um and and it might be a case that finally we're able to go out without having to book 10 months in advance but you have the opportunity to invite six people to your dream dinner party who are your six guests going to be right um well i think my first guest is going to be um 
Shep Gordon. Have you heard of him or do you know him? I have. He, he's, he did the movie, The Supermunch. And it's really like, he, I met him at a party because my client knew him actually. And I ended up watching the premiere of his movie. And it's just, he's a really interesting character. And I think his whole backstory is crazy. And um, he's just so like, um, had a great life, I think, an interesting life. And he's been a chef, he's been, you know, so many things. I think he would be very interesting and full of lots of stories. So he'd definitely be one of them. And um, if I had to make another one, I think Trudy Styler. I think she's very cool. And, uh, you know, I think she's brilliant inspiration. She's, she's got, you know, I'm always following her on Instagram. I think she's great, really, and looks amazing. And she's into her yoga and, yeah, enough said of the her. And then, um, who else? Audrey Hepburn. I love Audrey Hepburn. Just a classic um, style icon. Absolutely love her clothes and how she dresses. And she'd definitely be my favorite. I'm not sure all these people would get on together. <laughs> people I'd like to meet. Well, we'll, we'll, sure. We might just have to social distance still. Everyone will be sort of two <laughs> meters away around this very long table. These are people I'd like to meet, but I'm not sure they're going to mix them up. Um, and um, David Attenborough absolutely has to be in there. I don't know how he's going to get on with Shep Gordon but, and that, these people, but I definitely, definitely, he's just a classic. And I absolutely think he's adorable. And it's going to be the day anything happens to, to David Attenborough is a sad day for this, this, this country. Uh, he's an amazing man. Um, Danny Boyle, I'd say, is definitely interesting, very artistic and everything he does he thinks out the box, you know, incredibly artistic with what he did with the Olympics and what he's done with all these movies that he's in, 100%. he's a bit cult, very cool character and I imagine he's very interesting. Um, who else I say, um, this is your last one. The last one. Well, he might have to be an all time favorite like movie star. Um, he's like Al Pacino <laughs> because he's just super cool and uh, we just had a massive over the Covid and um, we were literally locked in and we had over Christmas we decided that we we're going to do um, a whole series of movies and re-watch loads of old movies with uh, Nigel's son Zach so we did a, a night of a well, whole month of different ones and we went through all the Al Pacino movies and the Godfather absolutely loved them and Brilliant. I think he's he's legendary in the Godfather too and I think he loses it completely in Godfather 3. <laughs> <laughs> he goes from this super cool guy to this not so super cool guy in Godfather 3 um, but I think he is definitely got to be up there but as I say they're a bit of a mixture. Yes definitely. <laughs> And I haven't got anybody from interior design in there. <laughs> well, it's sometimes good to mix it up. Um, <laughs> we'll have all of your links and everything in the bio, but where can people find you if they want to reach out or get in touch or they just want to see more of your work? Um, CatherineWilman.com. And we also, obviously, Instagram is, is a great one because we can find us on Instagram, which is CatherineWilman.interiors is the um, Instagram account. And, um, and that's probably the best place to get hold of us, really. And um, yeah, that's it. Fantastic. I, I mean, this has been 
a fantastic episode. I'm I'm grinning from uh, ear to ear with just laughter because it's just been a fantastic way to wrap up um, this season. Just a fantastic guest to have on. Thank you ever so much for joining us um, and sharing your story. This has been a fantastic episode. And I mean, you know, hopefully we're able to welcome you back in a future uh, season when, you know, COVID is done and there might be another interesting take that's going on within the company. So thank you ever so much. Thank you for inviting us to talk anyway. And um, yeah, it's been great. Thank you.